Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast of my freshly written speculative fiction and the often stranger-than-fiction stories behind it. This week, for our 121st episode, the 11th of Season 2, A Season of Short Works, I'll be presenting the second half of a two-part story that I began last week. So, if you missed it, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 120 first, as it has not only the first half of today's tale, but also my introductory setup for what inspired this story, of an idealistic young college grad who heads west for what seems like an exciting new adventure, but that turns out to be a far different experience from anything she'd ever expected. Oh, And to the listener who mentioned last week that Casey sounded like a typical Florida man, yes, that was exactly my intention with his character. A Florida man in the Rockies. You nailed it. (laughs) All right, that being acknowledged, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive back in where we left off last week with Snowmass, Part 2, a short story by Vivian Catfield. When she finally got to bed up in the loft around 3 a.m., Willow couldn't sleep. She tried working on her half-finished cross-stitch pillow that, when it was completed, would read cinnamon rolls, not gender rolls, in quirky font. However, every time she started to nod off, she'd prick her finger, so she set it aside. Thinking that some academic reading might lull her to sleep, she pulled out an old Virginia Woolf paperback that she hadn't looked at since senior year and began flipping through its heavily annotated pages. Unable to fully concentrate on the plight of Woolf's revisionist heroine, Judith Shakespeare, Willow began to notice a steady pattern of creaking coming from above her. It sounded like footsteps on the roof. Coco heard it too. The doll crawled out from beneath the heavy quilt and padded to the window in the eave beneath the moose head. Whining, Coco began to paw at the window with both feet. Willow checked the time on her resort phone. Almost five in the morning. She put her book down and went over to see what the dog was so concerned about. The wind had picked up, whistling and moaning outside, and a new layer of thick snow was already beginning to collect on the pathways. The flakes were swirling so fast that it was difficult to see the winter garden across the compound, let alone the main lodge or the mountains beyond it. The modernistic steel columns of LED lights outside were just bright enough that Willow could make out the shapes of someone, or rather several someones, walking below, casting long shadows on the ground. Are they groundskeepers? Willow wondered. Why else would anyone be up so early in this weather? The creaking from the roof above her grew louder. Glancing up, Willow realized that there were a series of skylights in the roof that she hadn't paid attention to before because they'd been completely covered with ice and snow. As she watched, something began to scratch, then pound on the frozen glass. Coco dove under the bed and crawled so far back up against the wall by the headboard that Willow couldn't pull her out. Crouched next to the bed and ready to dive under, too, Willow prayed that the glass wouldn't break as the pounding grew relentlessly louder. That can't be an animal, can it? Willow's mind raced with potential explanations. A 
bear or a mountain lion, maybe, trying to claw its way in through the skylight to get away from the snowstorm? Boom. 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 It sounded like whatever it was was kicking hard on the glass with its back feet. Terrified, Willow crept over to her backpack and pulled out her taser. Pressing her back against the wall, she sat breathlessly listening to the stomping and howling wind until just after sunrise, when both sounds stopped simultaneously. Trembling, Coco cautiously eased out from under the bed and into Willow's lap. I don't know what it was either, girl, Willow said as the dog licked her hands, but I think it's gone for now. Looking out the window again, Willow could tell that over a foot of new snow had fallen in the past several hours, and although it had slackened a great deal, was still falling. Refilling Coco's food and water bowls, Willow hurried through the shower and dressed in layers, long sleeve tee, plaid flannel shirt, and sweater, with fleece-lined jeans and snow boots, topped with her heavier anorak, toboggan, circular scarf, and gloves. She wanted to get over to the main lodge dining room to look up whatever information she could find about the sudden storm and, well, whatever the rest of it was, she thought to herself. When Willow opened the door, the full bone-cracking force of the cold hit her, and she ran back upstairs to get another scarf to wrap around her laptop inside her backpack. The last thing she needed now after losing her cell phone was a laptop screen cracked by the cold, too. The snow came up almost to her knees on the path, and Willow had to use both hands to open the service door that she'd used the night before to pick up her deliveries. Once inside, however, she paused in the breezeway, because she could overhear two men arguing. "'I don't care what the goddamn contract says,' Bryce declared. "'The radio said to evacuate, and that's what I'm going to do.' I'm not risking my life or my staff's lives for this. We've got to get out before the police close the roads. Declan's reply was much softer, and his tone was icy. If that's your decision, then that's your decision. I've offered you my opinion and an incentive. If you choose to leave, then you know what the consequences are. You can't buy me or threaten me, Bryce hissed his tone more hostile, and if you try to stiff me or the rest of the staff on pay for quitting, then I will take you to court. Declan snorted. <laughs> really? That's what you think? His voice grew more detached. Go right ahead, sue me, and I will counter by saying that I fired you because I caught you using the restaurant as a front for deliveries. You wouldn't dare, Bryce countered. I would turn on you so fast that Declan interrupted him. Ah, 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 you're forgetting something. First, that I have already anticipated that would happen with someone at some point and have made payments to the appropriate sources. Second, just because you've decided to suddenly become self-righteous and above monetary incentivization doesn't mean that the rest of your staff, Declan put air quotes around the last two words, would be so quick to back you up. I've chosen all of them very carefully. They're not a bad group of people. They're just, shall we say, without many other options, given their respective situations. 
Take that stupid hick new girl who started yesterday, for example. She had over 40 grand in student debt hanging over her head with no job and no prospects. So desperate that she moved across the country with a college degree just to walk dogs. And what did she find when she got here? <laughs> All this glorious mess. Now, do you think for one moment that I couldn't offer her a full year salary up front in exchange for her silence, plus maybe a bonus, and she wouldn't take it and be thankful? Yes, sir. Right away, sir, Declan mocked in a terrible imitation of a southern accent. If not, then you're a fool. So go ahead and go. Take whomever you can get to go with you, too. I'm staying here to take care of our guests, none of whom have expressed to me any desire to leave. Bryce didn't reply. Moments later, Willow heard the door leading out of the back kitchen swing open and shut. A truck motor cranked, and Willow watched out the window as Bryce drove off, his enormous jacked-up dually pickup moving slowly over the uncleared, snow-covered road. Feeling trapped because Declan was still in the dining room, Willow remained motionless, her back pressed into the corner of the plushly padded velvet bench in the breezeway. Hot tears of anger and frustration welled up in her eyes. They had no time to fall. Willow, could you come here for a moment? Declan called, his vocal tone changing back to the cool but more relaxed California accent she'd heard before. Knowing without looking, Willow knew that Declan must have seen her enter through the camera in the breezeway. Knowledge that made the facts of what he'd said with her able to hear all the more shameful. Nevertheless, Willow dutifully shouldered her backpack and stepped inside the dining room. I know that it's short notice and you're just beginning to get your feet on the ground, Declan began. But how would you like to help me out tonight by running the front of house in the restaurant? It seems that Price is afraid of a little snow, Declan made a simpering face. And I need to be free, just in case we have a visit from the local law enforcement. They can be a little, shall we say, overly anxious about the weather when we haven't had a big storm in a while. They need to be reminded occasionally that everything here is taken care of. Here, Declan paused, judging Willow's reaction. Of course, there will be a bonus incentive in your pay, given at the end of the season, and a permanent increase, if you do a good job and stay on, in the event that Bryce doesn't eventually return. What makes you think he'd come back? Willow asked, finding her voice. Careful not to address Declan as sir, and to enunciate her words perfectly. He seemed very angry. They all come back eventually, Declan said as his phone dinged. Even your new friend Casey. Seeing Willow begin to pull her laptop out of her backpack as he rose to leave, Declan added, Just FYI, Wi-Fi is out in the main lodge and restaurant today, too. Storm must have gotten to the tower last night. The outage will probably last for several days until the storm is over. Till then, we're just stuck with one another, he shrugged. Perils of living on top of the world. Be back at two o'clock. We open at four. Oh, he paused, digging a stack of flyers out of his messenger bag. Before I forget, could you slide one of these under the doors of all the occupied guest suites and staff rooms? There's a list on top of the stack. 
It explains the weather plan and the Wi-Fi situation. We won't have any need to walk the husky today, he winked. So just consider this a replacement for your regular rounds. That's a good girl. Declan placed the stack on one of the glossy redwood raw-edged tables, patted it, and left. Willow sat thinking for a moment as she stared at the stack of flyers. She opened her laptop just to check, but sure enough, no Wi-Fi signal. Given what Casey had told her the night before, she wasn't sure whether it was because Declan was scrambling the signal here now too, so that he could control access to information about the storm, or if he was telling the truth. The wind had been very strong last night, and Declan, well, as Mama Pearl would have said, the truth simply wasn't in the man. Packing up her laptop in the flyers, Willow thought about calling Mama Pearl or one of her friends back home to see if they'd seen anything about the weather. However, she decided against it. Declan and who knew how many other people would hear her using the resort cell, and Willow didn't trust herself not to have a meltdown by phone and tell them everything. She knew the whole enterprise was a colossal mistake, but she didn't know how to fix it. Figuring that she at least needed to know what her options were, Willow walked back to the lodge where her car was parked and found an ice scraper in the guest courtesy tools room to scrape off the snow. When she tried to start up the old Subaru, the engine wouldn't turn. Quick drop in temperature probably sapped the battery, she thought, shutting the door. No way to get one up here unless... Willow looked at the room list on top of the stack of flyers for guests and staff. There was no one named Casey listed, but there was a John Cason in the staff lodge. I think I'll start with staff first, Willow reasoned and trudged off in search of Casey. No, Casey replied when Willow found him blowing puffs of cigarette smoke out into the frigid air carefully through a window he'd barely cracked open in the living room commons downstairs of the guest of the staff lodge. I don't know anywhere you could get a car battery without going down the mountain, unless you take one from someone else's car, but good luck with that. I don't have a car myself. I haven't had one for about five years now. Ex-wife got it. The house and the kid, too, and the divorce. No need for one, really. I live on site during the season here, and when that's over, I go back home to Florida and live on site at a resort there. Doesn't it ever bother you, though? Willow asked. Not having the freedom to leave whenever you want to, or to have access to anything you want to know when you want to know it? She shook her head. It just seems so disempowering to me to be that dependent on your work situation and to trust them to tell you everything. Eh, freedom's overrated. And as for knowledge, I have as much as I need to not get too squirrely, Casey replied, tossing his cigarette out the window into the snow. Declan's not going to let all the rich people up here freeze to death or nothing. That would be too much liability. Since we serve them, and that's what makes him the dollar bills, he won't let anything happen to us either. As you will soon learn, if you haven't already, Declan's all about the cash. Casey rubbed his fingers together to indicate money. So I wouldn't worry about all that. Bryce was just blown off scene. What was that other thing you said, though, that you wanted to talk about? Willow told Casey all that she had seen and heard during her sleepless night. 
for the first time during their conversation, he seemed genuinely interested. I told you, Casey said, slapping his thighs. Those were Sasquatches up on that roof and out there in that yard. Nobody believes me, but I've seen them with my own eyes. I don't know how many times. Willow studied Casey's bloodshot brown eyes. Bug-eyed when he was relaxed, they protruded even further when he was excited, like an anxious chihuahua. She tried to decide if he'd already been up and day-drinking, or if he'd had a snort of what was in the box, but she couldn't tell. Her classes in deviant behavior and addiction studies had taught her that over time, people who were chronically intoxicated eventually got to a state in which they just seemed like that all the time. A state in which they saw things and heard things. Hallucinations that came and went without rhyme or reason. For a second, she wondered whether tasting the powder on the coffee table the night before had caused her to imagine seeing the shadows and hearing the pounding and scraping on the roof. But then, she remembered how Coco had reacted. The little Maltipoo, usually never shy of yapping up a storm at anything she saw that was out of the ordinary, had been too terrified to make a sound. Willow said goodbye to Casey and finished out her rounds with the flyers. The rest of the day passed relatively uneventfully. A few guests stopped her, angry and anxious about the weather, and some tried to leave that morning. However, the snow had started falling again before ten and accumulating thick and fast, despite the strong winds. Those who had packed up and left in a huff returned, complaining about the ineffectiveness of local police after finding the road closed at the foot of the mountain. Willow didn't see Declan or the police all day, but she surmised that he'd gotten what he wanted from them, after all. By dusk, the snow was waist-high, and guests were calling in all of their dinner orders, rather than coming to the main lodge where the restaurant was located. The grounds crew shoveled constantly along the pathways to and from the guest lodges so that Willow and the other runners could take deliveries, but by 8 p.m. they were overwhelmed. A text message went out, presumably from Declan, to all guests and staff that services would close at 9 throughout the resort. Promptly at 10 minutes after 9, Willow and Casey received a second text message simultaneously. Willow knew that this one must be from Declan. Called off-site this afternoon. Weather says the storm should last 48 hours, but the generators are fueled for 72 Power loss should be a non-issue. We'll send notice via concierge text, along with instructions that only dinner service will happen tomorrow. Casey, put all timesheets, cash deposit, and credit card records in the kitchen petty cash safe. Willow should inform staff and any guests who ask regarding all of the above. That asshole, Casey sighed. About right, though. Oldest left to do all the work that the boss man runs away from, and the youngest has to take all the heat from the sheeple in hopes that maybe they'll bitch less at a kid. He waved at Willow. Go on, I'll clean everything up. It's faster that way. What about his dog? Willow asked, scrolling through the text thread again. I wonder if Declan took the husky with him. Do we have any steaks left from the go-backs? I should take him something. I didn't see any food when I was there yesterday. Probably not, Casey scoffed. Then he brightened. But 
if you do feel so inclined to go check on the mutt, you can take some of those go-backs over there. Casey motioned to a stack of return delivery orders. Willow opened a few and took one each with an untouched steak and half a roasted chicken inside. Marveling at the type of person who would return food and demand a recook in a snowstorm. And if you happen to see anything exciting lying around, Casey sniffed loudly, indicating the obvious. Just bring it on back here. Willow rolled her eyes and pushed her way out the back door of the kitchen, bag of rejected food in hand. She could barely get it open, shoving as hard as she could. Outside, the snow was piled high again, so high over the level that the groundskeepers had given up on only an hour before that Willow sank in over the tops of her knee-high boots with each step. Slogging through it was like walking on freezing quicksand, and by the time she got to the guest lodge, her legs were wet and shivering. It was all she could do to pull that door open, too. Stomping the snow off her boots and shaking the snow off her top layer, she hurried down the hallway to Suite 137, hoping that by running she'd warm up. The husky was lying in exactly the same spot on the sofa as yesterday. He yawned and stretched, wagging his tail at Willow as if nothing was amiss. Willow cut the steak in half with a knife that she'd brought from the kitchen and then sliced it into bite-sized pieces, feeding them to the dog one at a time by hand. Realizing that she didn't know the dog's name, she searched his collar and harness, but found nothing. Not only was the husky nameless, but the tag on his collar for his owner's information was blank as well. As the husky gulped down bites of steak, Willow realized that she too was starving. She hadn't eaten since the turkey burger she'd had in the car on the way into town yesterday. Cutting the baked potato from the steak container in half as well, Willow unwrapped it from the tinfoil and gave it to the dog, who lay on the slate floor gnawing it from between his paws. The exhaustion of the last two days beginning to hit her, Willow plopped down on a stool at the counter and opened the box of chicken. Realizing she brought a knife, but no fork, she sighed, slid off the stool, and started opening drawers, hoping to find one. Instead, she discovered a stack of papers. Tired, but mildly curious, she thumbed through them. One was an estimate for a new generator system from the previous year. Another was a bill, also dated the year before, for fuel. Probably for the old one, she rationalized, continuing to open and close drawers, but finding no forks. Flipping through the stack, Willow saw that they were all bills. For food, uniforms, all sorts of things for the resort. Every one of them at least a year old. Cheap ass, she thought, wondering why Declan hadn't paid. Wonder if the resort's running out of money. Finally, she found a drawer with a utensil sorter in it, but no utensils other than fondue sticks. Seriously? she asked aloud, causing the husky to look up from his potato. It would have to do. Sitting back down to the container of chicken, she stabbed it in the center of the breast to hold it while she pulled off a leg. With a mouthful of chicken, Willow's attention turned back to the next page in the stack. Skimming it, she put the chicken leg bone back in the container. Not believing what it said, Willow wiped her hands carefully on a takeaway napkin so she wouldn't leave any grease stains and read again, this time more closely. It was a termination letter. For Declan. 
updated before Willow had even seen the job posting online. The sender was some nameless overseas corporation that Willow didn't recognize. Beneath the boilerplate, we hate to inform you, type language of the opening paragraph, there was a long list of accusations, mostly about embezzling money. Then, a complaint about negligence for failing to replace the generator system as directed the previous season, which had resulted in a lot of pipes bursting and water damage. The threat of a lawsuit, and ending with a warning that if Declan wanted to avoid it, he would finish out the season unpaid and leave after pre-screening a new manager to take his place, pending the approval of corporate. It was during this second, more careful read-through that all the lights flickered and went out. Sitting in the darkness, squinting to finish with only the light of her resort cell phone, it dawned on Willow what had happened. Declan had gotten caught stealing money, and he'd been fired. But perhaps because it would have been even more trouble to run the place from a distance by getting rid of him immediately, the corporation that owned Shadowcrest decided to let him stay on until the end of the season which Declan had taken as an opportunity to do anything he wanted, including selling drugs and dipping further into resort expenses to walk away with even more money. <sighs> Typical rich guy douchebag bullshit, Willow thought dismissively. But wait, Willow looked at the text on her phone again. If Declan lied about so many things then that means he probably also lied about replacing the generator at all. About the storm only lasting for 48 hours and the generator having enough fuel for it. About coming back. As Willow stood staring at the screen of the resort phone that Declan had given her, another message popped up. Shadowcrest Resort regrets any inconvenience that you might currently be encountering due to unforeseen weather conditions. If you have any questions or concerns, please direct them to our new manager, Willow Weiss, who will be waiting to answer them in the main lodge. We appreciate your patience during these difficult times. Regards, Shadowcrest Management Team. Willow set the phone down on the counter. She considered walking back over to the restaurant, but what good would that do? Casey certainly didn't seem like the type to have her back if any irate guests showed up, and frankly, she was afraid to face them. What else might Declan have told them? Or the police? Or his foreign management team about the new girl that had just been hired? For all she knew, he'd blame everything. The failure to evacuate when Bryce and the police had warned him, the neglect at not replacing or refueling the generator, all of it on her. We could all die, she said suddenly to the husky. And Declan would try his best to somehow make the whole world believe that it was my fault. Not knowing what else to do, Willow boxed up the remainder of the food and put it back into the plastic to-go bag, along with the kitchen knife. Then she put the husky's leash on him, crept as quietly as she could out of Suite 137, and up the stairs to the loft. Already, the hibernating hotel was beginning to awaken. By the time she reached the fifth and top floor, Willow had passed several groups of angry guests, arguing amongst themselves about how they were going to give this new manager a piece of their mind and demand a full refund, as well as emergency transportation off the premises immediately. 
fortunately, bundled up as she was in her heavy coat, scarf, and hat, with a large dog and takeout bag in hand, none of them recognized her, even though she remembered quite a few of them from her delivery runs the previous evening. Finally reaching the loft, Willow laughed ruefully at the irony of it, how no one ever recognized the help, especially when they were young and female. Safely inside, Willow sliced up the remainder of the steak and halved the potato again, feeding Coco as much as she could eat and then giving the rest to the husky. The pair got along surprisingly well, despite their difference in size. Still hungry, Willow ate the salad that had come with the chicken, but left the chicken breast and thigh as treats for the dogs the next day. She'd brought a big enough bag of Coco's dry food with her to last a month, but the husky was almost four times her size. Who knew how long the snow might really last, or how long they might be stuck up there? The rush of adrenaline that had sustained her through two days completely dissipated. Willow crashed onto the bed and fell into a dreamless sleep. A few hours later, she was awakened by the dogs barking, Coco at the window and the husky at the ceiling. Stirring awake, Willow realized that the pounding had started again this time on both the skylights and the window under the eave, where the eerie moose's head was mounted. As Willow turned toward the window, Coco yelped and ran back to the bed, diving under the covers beside her. That was when she saw it, clearly, for the first time. The shadow that had been in the winter garden the night before. The creature that was not a bear, behind her in the picture from the road up to the resort. Its face was covered in thick, shaggy hair as it stared at her through the frozen window. Hanging on to the window frame with the tips of its fingers, the creature jumped back and then swung forward like an ape, hitting the surface of the glass as it landed hard against the pane. The glass, clearly shatterproof, splintered into a thousand cracks like a windshield that did not completely fracture. Above, Willow could hear the skylights cracking under the weight of their heavy feet, too. This must be a dream, Willow thought. I am dreaming. This can't be real. The husky, standing its ground at the foot of the bed, circled and snarled. Then, from beside her, the glass finally gave way, popping out of the frame as the creature crashed into the loft. Instinctively, Willow rolled off the bed and onto the floor beside it, dragging a squealing cocoa with her as the skylights came smashing down too, followed by blasts of freezing air. With the window and skylights gone, Willow could hear a low rumbling like thunder, growing louder by the moment, coming from the mountains behind the resort. The husky's snarls became a yowl as he dove for the nearest one of the creatures. Then suddenly he stopped, the sound of his attack replaced by a low electric hum. Willow peered around the side of the bed and saw one of the creatures holding its hand palm forward in front of the husky's muzzle to silence the animal. Willow watched, too stunned to move, as the creature seemed to pull the dog toward him. The husky resisted at first, but then relaxed, falling onto the floor. Picking up the now limp dog and holding it in its arms, Willow could tell by proportion that the creature's were enormous, at least ten feet tall. They were built like massive apes, with shorter legs and long torsos and arms. Shaggy, dark brown hair covered their bodies, and they keened to one another, 
in whistling and clicking sounds. Willow knew that they could see her clearly now, and for some strange reason, that made her less afraid. A second one extended its palm toward where she sat, hiding with Coco behind the bed. Gently, the same unseen force that had pulled the husky to the first creature lifted a trembling Coco from Willow's arms. As soon as she lost contact with her, the multipoo went still and glided through the air to the second creature. The whistles and clicks began again, and Willow stood up. Walking over to face the creatures as if in a trance, Willow stood in front of the third, shortest one. It reached out and took her hand. Then the world went black. When she awakened, Willow was lying at the pull-off spot by the side of the road where she'd taken her selfie on the way up the mountain. Only two days before, but it seemed like eons. It was morning and the snow had slowed to only a slight dusting. Both of the dogs, Coco and the Husky, were already awake, and when they saw her move, began barking and jumping. Trying to regain her bearings, Willow stood on top of the picnic table and looked up the road toward Shadowcrest. She saw nothing but the smooth whiteness of a collapsed snowmass. Half a mile below her, just beyond the next bend, she saw a police barricade blocking the road. Scanning the surrounding woodline, Willow saw no signs of the creatures, not even footprints. The search and rescue squad saw Willow struggling through them, toward them through the snow, and sent a snowmobile up to meet her and the dogs. Reporters were already waiting, camped out for news of the first survivors of the freak avalanche that had destroyed Shadowcrest. Willow told them she'd avoided the disaster due to having second thoughts about her new job after meeting the manager and feeling that something was wrong. When her car battery was dead and no one was willing to give her a lift, she explained that she'd just started walking, hoping that someone evacuating the area would see her and give her a lift. The doctors blamed her memory lapse of walking through the whole night on hypothermia and trauma. The internet stories wrote it up as luck and women's intuition. Willow never told anyone about the creatures. The press quickly lost interest in her story as other more notable semi-celebrity survivors were found among the guests from the upper floors while the staff, who were all buried among the lower levels, perished. The Shadowcrest disaster, as it was known, became a metaphor for everything that was wrong with corporate America and the economic caste system that it had created. Willow decided to let them run with that narrative. It wasn't like she could say or do anything to change their minds anyway. Besides, telling a story about a Sasquatch sighting would only cost her credibility, especially in the field that she'd trained for. And she still needed to find some kind of a real job. Declan never returned for the husky. When Willow took the dog back to Tennessee with her, she named him Buck. Together with Coco, the three of them watched the mountains. This is the end of part two of Snowmass, a short story in two parts by Vivian Catfield. Be sure to tune in next week for another new story in season two, A Season of Short Works, here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell.
someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you.